Welcome to G.I. Joe Chronicles, Outpost Edition. I trust your mission was equally well executed. I want a stone cold righteous attention. Militarily speaking, it's only fair to say that Cobra Commander is a world-class buffoon. Welcome to G.I. Joe Chronicles, outposted episode one. I am Jim Meal, also known as Jim the Joe Junkie. Over the course of this podcast, we intend to discuss as many aspects, favorite pop culture subject, without getting too bogged down in the details. After all, we are here to have fun and reminisce. I went into further details explaining the scope of this podcast in episode zero. So if you haven't already listened, go back and listen to episode zero and get caught up. On this episode, we will be discussing the first year of the toys, the action figures and the vehicles of 1982. Now it would be boring and not nearly as much fun if it was just me discussing these plastic army men that we grew up with. Joining me is Jared Albrecht, the art sale artist, also known as Death Probe. Glad you are able to make your way out to the outpost. Jared, this is your first time to the outpost. Any issues reading the map that I sent you? Uh, no, it was a good map. It, it was to scale, which was impressive. Uh, I like that. And because you asked about it, I'm going to tell you a true map reading story from my military experience. And it's not my story. There's a guy I know who was taking some army troops on maneuvers in Hawaii. They were doing some maneuvers through the the jungles of Hawaii, if you will. And <laughs> he, he looked, this is a young lieutenant like I was at the time. He looked to his senior NCO and he said, I think when we go up here, we should just go ahead and go ahead and take this Pipolini Road because we're going to be hitting Pipolini Road pretty soon. And the NCO was like, uh, that's not a road, sir. And he's like, yeah, it is right here on the map. It's Pipolini Road. He's like, no, sir, that, that's a pipeline. <laughs> because when you're in Hawaii, you think pipeline looks like Pipolini. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, there's no such thing as Pipolini Road. Oh, <laughs> it's a pipeline. I, under, I get it. I get it. Pipolini. Pipol- now, now, every time you see the word pipeline, you're going to hear in your head, Pipolini. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, I well, derailed us on the first it. episode of your podcast. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Oh, so, Jared, would you mind reaching way back in your past and give us a brief breakdown of your G.I. Joe toy origin and history? And while you're doing that, what does your collecting look like today? Okay, the the toy origin history starts right at the beginning. Well, I don't mean the beginning, beginning with the 12-inch Joes, even though I had a little bit of awareness of that. I I really get my G.I. Joe collecting pretty much from my brother, Jason, but it kind of happened at the same time. Because when G.I. Joe came out, the the, the three and three-quarter inch, the one we're going to focus on, that was 82. And I was about six years old, which means Jason was about 11. And... It just, if you know the story of G.I. Joe, you know it took the world by storm because they had this cool new action figure line and then they released that comic book and it was like a real good synergy between the comic and the the toy line. So we had issue one and we lived within biking distance of a Kmart. And so we would go there anytime we got, oh gosh, I want to say they were about two bucks originally. Um, We'd get a couple bucks. We'd go out there and we'd pick up a new Joe. Didn't have money for the, for the play sets very often, but the, the Joes, we would, we would pick those up. 
So really, my origin story is is exactly the way that Hasbro and Marvel intended it to be. You know, it was like, here's this comic, here's this toy, let's make some magic. And it absolutely worked on us. I mean, our, our father was in the army, you know, he was an air traffic controller who became a helicopter pilot. So we were already sort of attracted to the military lifestyle, the military toy. And um, yeah, I mean, it was the 80s and we were boys, so it was the law. So, you know, it was all military uh, fun time. So that's really my my origin story with the toy. And then my collecting habits today really, if as I think about it, mirror that because I'm still a big collector of all the three and three quarter inch figures. I mean, all the three and three quarter inch figures from 82 to today, you know, I don't, I didn't join like the collector's club or anything like that because I am the yard sale artist. So the bulk of my collection, like I would say 80% of my collection was yard sale acquired, that kind of thing. Secondhand, buying them loose. I keep them all, I don't, I don't keep them in the package. They're all loose and, but they're on display in a huge glass and mirrored cabinet in my house. There's just rows and rows and rows of Joe's. But I only really do three and three quarter inch and I don't do the vehicles because they take up too much space. So I'm really just hyper focused on three and three quarter inch figures. Now, you and I were talking before you hit record. I do have a lot of the classifieds because they're just pretty cool. Um, So I do cheat a little bit and have some classified collection. But the heart and soul of my collection, three and three quarter inch. Yeah, the three and three quarter inch, you definitely have a lot more room than the six inch, Mm -hmm. you know. And as we were discussing, the, the classifieds take up so much room. Mine are stored in a box, and it's really difficult for me to get those out and displayed with the limited room mm-hmm. I have. So mm-hmm. I completely understand that. Now, a couple things with my previous collecting back in the day, I used to, here in Michigan, we have deposits for cans. Uh, oh, yeah. So, I see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we lived in on a on a town right on Lake Michigan, Grand Haven, Michigan. And in the summertime, the people that would stay at the marina did not want to bring their cans back with them. So we would go down to the marina a couple times a day and get cans. And that is how we got a lot of their money for our figures. Oh, so. you and I have that in common because this the story of the bike ride Kmart thing. I lived in Niles, Michigan at the time. Okay. And yeah, Jason and I would scrape together cans. We had neighbors that like knew that that's how we got our toy money. So they would yep. save their cans and just give them to us. No. Yeah. So yeah, I, I remember we had this one neighbor that just probably gave us three garbage bags full of cans one day. It was like, here you go, boys. And we were just like, we're going to get the vamp. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so i hear yeah so yeah i I only lived in michigan for a couple years but that that, we were there in 82 i'll say that much for nothing (laughs) and similar to you i i lived about two and a half three blocks from a mire so that's we would go and just get cans and go to mire turn them in and get some figures heck yeah my collecting nowadays is very similar to yours i've got the three and three quarter mostly that's what i focus on vintage the modern four inch stuff just because of room like you like you said so now i i don't know if you want to talk about this on the show or not so you can edit this out um if i understand it right like you are something of a a dealer like it like you do shows and you set up a booth and you do buy sell trade and stuff yes i do a lot of local shows 
and buy sell. That's how I fund my habit. I mean, collection so that uh, <laughs> I don't take as much money out of the household budget. And my wife really appreciates it. I hear you. Like yeah, I talked about, I pick up the vast collections at yard sales. I mean, you know that like the peek behind the curtain folks, uh, Jim commissioned me to do one of my GI Joe drawings for him. And he paid me in bag of loose figures. <laughs> like That's how we brokered the deal. Yeah. But just like you, Jim, you know, I'll buy a whole bag. I don't care what's in there. I'll buy a whole bag and I'll just be very happy if I find a couple in there that I don't have already. And then the rest I'll sell to, to, so the, the habit pays for itself. So I totally understand you from that point. And it took me a while to get to where I'm at. That process has gotten me to where I get some of the Holy grails. I do focus on mostly vintage. I'm the type mindset. If I'm going to spend money on a three, three quarter figure, it's going to be a vintage figure. Yeah, I, I still bought, like, even when the newer lines came out, you know, when they came out with the movies and and stuff like that, I still picked up the the three and three quarter inch figures. I, I still do buy the, even the, the non-vintage three and three quarter inch. So, yeah, I have a lot of those, especially when you're a yard sale guy, you know, you, you just, you buy what you find. And the, the further I, we get from 1982, the, f- <laughs> the harder it is to find these dang things. Yeah, I mean, I can vividly remember the last time I found three and three quarter inch vintage Joe's at a yard sale. In fact, it was a rummage sale for like a high school was raising money for whatever. And I went into the high school gym and I found a Ziploc bag. It was just full of three and three quarter inch Joe's. I was like, how much do you want for this? And they were like, five (laughs) dollars. You've never seen someone hand five dollars and run out of a building. I ran out of there like I was Carl Lewis, man. I was setting speed records (laughs) before they realized what they did. I was like, yeah. I'll see you. Goodbye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, enjoy your field trip. <laughs> I, I touched on it in episode zero. I didn't start recollecting until 2010, 2012 timeframe. So I missed a lot of the, what they call the modern sculpt figures, mm-hmm. 25th anniversary and stuff like that. Oh, those are great. <laughs> those are great. I have quite a few of those as well. So I'm not strictly vintage owing. Okay. Though I do intermix when I say three and three quarter, I you know I do the modern scale four inch and the three and three quarter. Nice. So that brings us to our seg- first segment. Some of these segments we're still working on titles, so if they don't work, they may change in the future. We're calling this one for now that figures. It's here, the GI Joe collection. GI Joe from Hasbro. This is a segment where we discuss the figures of 1982. This was the first year of the Real American reboot, if you will. These figures were the same size as Kenner's Star Wars, but had better articulation. With more articulation to be included in the coming years, we will discuss as they show up in the figure line. They were also packaged with more weapons and accessories than the Star Wars figures. Here at the Outpost, we will discuss each of the new figures that were released in the year that we are covering. To complete this, we will be using a combination of 3djoes.com, yojo.com, and the book, The Ultimate Guide to G.I. Joe. We will be discussing the code name and specialty, the file name, which some of them are unique and intriguing, a statement from their file card, and a brief description of the figure. For this year, there are a lot of reuse of parts from the figures. A lot of them are all OD green. So we're just going to go over what sets them apart from the rest of the figures. The information that we're going to go over is derived from the figure's file card, the stories and information that made up these file cards reshaped these plastic figures into characters that we could relate to, and we begin to immerse us in a vast world that will continue to grow until the end of the A Real American Hero line in 1984. 
Before we go over the details of these figures, Jared, do you remember seeing the 1982 figures and vehicles on the toy shelves? Oh, you know, you know, I did. <laughs> when I was at that Kmart, you know, it was just so cool. That was the section you went to, you know, GI Joe section. It was the only section. Oh, you know, we were really making that transition. You mentioned earlier, there's similarity to Star Wars. We were really making that transition from Star Wars to G.I. Joe. Because my older brother, Jason, had a lot of Star Wars stuff. But about the time I start playing with figures, it's G.I. Joe. Now, I will say, in 83, that kind of Return of the Jedi kind of oomphed our Star Wars collection a little bit some more. But really, from 82 on, it's going to be Joe. And yes, I definitely remember riding my bike to the uh, Kmart. My bike had a little wire basket on the front of it, like a rectangular wire basket. I remember that because I put the I put the bag in there, right, with my Joe in it. Yep. And it was like a big deal to do that or to get one, you know, for your birthday. And in fact, over on our own network here, I did a nostalgia talk. Uh, it, I think it's our most watched nostalgia talk on YouTube. Like it's a, it's one of our most watched videos. Period <laughs> about KB toy stores. I remember and, that one. Okay, and if you remember that when I did talk about the GI Joe section, and I included some cool pictures in the in the video that just really take you back to that. So yeah, that's much more of an answer than you wanted. But I get excited when I think about going to that store and going to that section and just seeing them on the pegs and on the and the vehicles on the shelf. It just it's very exciting. So which one of these figures or vehicles sparks biggest memory for you that when you see it, you just it brings you back to 1982? Okay, that's that's pretty easy. Uh, only one vehicle, really. Uh, maybe there might be some surprises we get into the vehicles later on. But I think Jason and I really only had the Vamp. I take that back. Two vehicles: the Vamp and the Ram. Those two vehicles will always be associated with the early days of GI Joe for me because those are the ones we had. We had the Vamp and the Ram. And then, as far as figures go, the ones I immediately think of: surprise, surprise, Jim, are Snake Eyes, <laughs> Stalker, and Scarlet. <laughs> Because they're the, the three that don't look OD the same. Green. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're the three that don't look the same. So those were obviously the ones that just stuck in my memory better. Now, if I had to pick an OD Green guy that did stick in my memory, I would say after those three, my next biggest one would be Rock and Roll. I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute. Double belt ammo across his chest. And because of uh, the Viewmaster, I always, and, and the comic book, I always associated Rock and Roll with the Ram. Like, to me, that was his vehicle. It took another Joe fan friend of ours, Gary V, to point out to me that, like, the original packaging had Breaker with the Ram. And in my head, which is why when they came out with the classified with Breaker on the Ram, I was like, what is this? Why is it not rock and roll? And Gary had to explain to me, no, no, you are thinking of the comic and, and the Viewmaster. And he was right. Yep. It's so. funny. You, uh, we're going to have to start playing match game like you and Jason do on action film games. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it here in a little bit. I will tell you my three favorites are going to probably match up real close to yours. So. Sounds like it. All right. Now let's go over the figures of 1982. To do this, I'm going to read one and then Jared's going to read one. So the first one is Breaker. He's a communication officer. And his file name is Kibby. Alvin R. He's efficient and self-assured and has an uncanny ability to turn adverse situations to his favor. Really, the things that set him out as with an action figure is he's got a brown beard, he's got the communication gear, and really that's about the only difference from the rest of the figures. Okay, from here, I will pick it up. We will talk about Clutch. The big bold thing at the top of his file card says he is a vamp driver. 
His real name is Lance J. Steinberg. And his file card lets us know that he greases his hair with motor oil, rarely shaves, and chews on the same toothpick for months. Clutch still calls women chicks, you know? And the only thing that really kind of sets him apart is, well, a couple things. One, you could only get him with a vehicle. You had to get the vamp to get Clutch back in the old days. And really? Black beard sleeves rolled up he was one of the od green ones so it's really that black beard that made him stand out more than anything and the fact that he came with a vehicle yep all right next one up is the laser rifle trooper codenamed flash file name anthony s gambello flash is methodical and persistent he has an innate and unshakable faith in the order of the universe he's working on his master's degree in electronic engineering in quotation at night and he is he's got the od green but he has the red pads on his chest on his arms and his leg and that's what really sets him away from the rest of the od green characters which brings us nicely to grand slam he's a laser artillery soldier his name is james j barney he's soft-spoken and calm just a bit shy intelligent loves to read escape his fantasy in the form of science fiction and comic books. It's our kind of guy, Jim. Uh, once again, what sets him apart because he is an OD green guy? A couple of things, really. Well, first of all, again, only available with a vehicle. I believe he came with the Howl, which we'll talk about momentarily. And uh, he's got a little more that sets him apart. He has some bright red padding on him, which uh, is a standout thing. And he has a seriously receding hairline. So... <laughs> Yes, he does. <laughs> He's got a big forehead. Uh, not unlike some of us in on this podcast. Oh, I, you know what? You always wear a hat, so I didn't know. I didn't oh, know. I was yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going away. Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> no, it's just part of life. Next up is the infantry trooper, codenamed Grunt. Robert W. Graves is his file name. Grunt is a highly motivated, systematic individual He's a stand-up guy who doesn't blow his cool in a firefight. As for his figure, you don't get more bland than this guy right here. Um, <laughs> he's grunt. He's grunt. He's, he's the infantry trooper. That, that's it. Amazingly, he's still a fan favorite, even no matter how normal or common he looks. I believe he used the same head mold as... He's got that receding hairline, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nothing to laugh at, Jeff. Sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, he does, he did come with the M16, but other than that, really, there's nothing out of the ordinary with this guy. For as common as he is, he's in almost every comic book corner box. Yeah. Yeah. And, he gets a lot a, of corner box. And a lot of the, in a segment that we're going to talk about later, the peripheral stuff, the advertisements, the promotions he was in, in 82 and 83, he was on all that stuff. So even oh, for a common sure. figure, they really put a lot of stock in him. Yeah, so. I, yeah, I guess they thought, you know, I feel like they thought he was going to be, if this makes sense, the G.I. Joe of G.I. Joes. You know what I'm talking about? Like the 1970s G.I. Joe, like the generic guy that everybody wanted to have. <laughs> He's generic. Yeah. For sure. And if you think about it, I mean, if you're going to army build any Joe, this is the one that you're going to army build. Yeah. He's so. All right. Well, we're going to take a step in the other direction of, of being a grunt, because next up, I believe I get to talk about Hawk 
and Hawk was the missile commander. He was the only officer available in the first wave. And for some reason, I keep getting the lucky draw of getting all the guys that came with vehicles in order to get Hawk. You had to have the MMS, the mobile missile system. We'll get to that in just a moment. But Hawk's name was Clayton M. Abernathy. He is keenly intelligent and perceptive and quite capable of totally selfless acts in support of his teammates. An excellent leader. And you would probably be able to identify him because he had the blonde hair and more importantly, the silver trim to his tech gear. Well, I guess Hasbro's way of saying this guy is, you know, the officer uh, in charge of the Joe team. And he's a figure that I've really liked more and more uh, as I've gone into adulthood, became an officer myself, taught leadership classes. So I, I gravitate a lot towards the leadership type characters. And, and Hawk has always been portrayed, cartoon or comic book or live action movie as an excellent leader. I always appreciate that about him. Next one up is the Machine Gunner, Rock and Roll, file name Craig S. McConnell. Rock and Roll is cunning but naive, forceful but shy, possesses a strong sense of loyalty to his teammates, and is sincerely concerned about their well-being, a man of honor and integrity who can be counted on to hold the line. His figure had the cross bandoliers of the bullets. He had a blonde beard, Blonde hair, and he had a big gun. Heck yeah. Now, going back, this is one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing this podcast, remembering a lot of the details as we move forward, how the character, the figure, the comic books all tied together. And the line there where it says, possesses a strong sense of loyalty to his teammates and is sincerely concerned about their well-being. You see that in that backup story of Hot Potato. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because you get so bogged down in all the details and you don't take time to remember, oh, yeah, this is how this is all connected together. That's why I'm going to really enjoy doing this podcast for that reason. <laughs> That's good stuff. You know, I've always heard, and maybe you confirm or deny, but I always heard that Larry wrote these file cards. I don't know if that's true or not. In one of these podcasts, we are going to discuss strictly just the file cards and the history of the file cards in a, a line overall view. Larry did write a lot of the file cards, but I don't know when he stopped full-time, but then he was off and on for a little while. And you can definitely tell in later years, like 87, 88, the ones that Larry mm -hmm. wrote and the ones that were in-house wrote. And he did it for his own benefit. He kept notes in writing his comic book. So to keep all the characters distinguished and he, mm -hmm. he could refer back to them. I mentioned this in episode zero, somebody from Hasbro saw that and said, Hey, we're putting that on the back of the packaging. And that's oh, what became the okay. file cards. His notes became the file cards. I really should have so, paid more attention to episode zero. <laughs> you still got time. <laughs> well, speaking of time is now my time to talk about Scarlet. Scarlet was the counterintelligence Joe. Real name is Shayna M. O'Hara. Scarlet is confident and resilient. It's remarkable that a person so deadly can still retain a sense of humor. How to tell Scarlet apart from all the other Joes? <laughs> this might be difficult. This, I don't know. Well, uh, well you know, she's a really pretty redhead. Uh, she's got a completely different outfit. She has sort of this tan on black outfit with i always like the little red shoulder pad too but and you know again i just this is really cool stuff that that we're doing this podcast because this you know she's one of my favorites because she was a standout and i think it's it really speaks to the intelligence of the gi joe line how smart they were and how this is 1982 you know how inclusive they were but it's like it's not hard to be inclusive 
when you're doing a military line of figures, you ever look at the military? It's very diverse, right? It's a really diverse group of people. So I've always found her fascinating that her figure design was so good. And, you know, just reading that personality, that she's deadly. She has a sense of humor. For those of us who know our Joe, like she was the hand-to-hand self-defense instructor for the Joes for the longest time. Like she's awesome. And that is just brilliant because G.I. Joe, Hasbro, got boys in the 80s excited to buy a girl figure okay for those of you who weren't there and don't know boys in the 80s didn't buy girl figures they just didn't but gi joe cracked the code uh whether it was through good figure design good file card great packaging with the art i didn't know anybody that turned up their nose at at having a scarlet like everybody wanted one and she was cool and she's one of the harder figures to find nowadays because she is that popular and we'll talk a little bit more about the inclusiveness in another couple figures too next up is the mortar soldier short fuse short fuse is logical and sensitive has a tendency to blow his stack hence the name short fuse his figure was olive drab he had a uh, actual mortar launcher he had the black straps with the helmet and the clear visor you know i get another distinct honor here jim you've really set me up nicely I try to. You did, because I get to talk about Snake Eyes. He's a commando. It says commando in big, bold letters at the top of his file card. Commando Snake Eyes. You know what his file name is? I can't tell you, Jim. It's classified. Uh, It says, the man is a total mystery, but he's really good at his job. Heck, he's the best. Let me give you a figure description, and then we'll start talking about Snake Eyes. All right? Snake Eyes dressed head to toe in black tactical gear. Snake Eyes came with an Uzi. I think he also came with satchel charges, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. And man, like every figure line, every almost every TV show or movie that has an ensemble cast always has that one bad mystery guy. Snake Eyes was that. And I just sometimes wonder, Jim, because we know that Larry definitely had a hand in this. Like Larry knew he, he had a guy who was like a martial arts expert, just good at everything. Super cool. Like, I don't know that even Larry knew how big this was going to be. I don't think he did until he started developing him in the comic. He didn't start delving into Snake Eyes' origin until issue 10. Yeah, I was thinking, like, Snake Eyes really hits that first uh, note to me. Uh, You're right about the origin thing, but that first Snake Eyes issue is like 21. That's the silent issue, if I'm not mistaken. That's the one that was like, we're getting serious about this. That's when they realize, hey, he's popular and we're going to we're going to double down. Oh, yeah. Is it's your 21. But no, you're yeah. right. I mean, they planted the seeds. What an interesting character. They made him that mute protagonist, which actually did not do him any favors on the cartoon. But you know what? One day you'll talk about the cartoon with somebody. So yeah, I won't take too will. much of that thunder. But man, this like, it, again, I'm jumping way ahead. I, I got too much to say about Snake Eyes. For those of you who know, the very, very later end of the Marvel run, like the title of the book was called like Snake Eyes and some other guys from G.I. Joe or something like that. That's pretty much what it was. Snake Eyes was the, <laughs> the main title and then underneath was G.I. Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So this this is we're looking right now, you know, on this episode at this figure from 82. This this I, I mean, like it had to tell him black, which makes him look cool, but otherwise sort of nondescript. And all you really know about him is from his file card. This is the the seed that would blossom into something that just, I mean, this is the guy that even when you go to 
kids who only grew up with Transformers or only grew up with Mask, and you go, name a G.I. Joe, the first words out of their mouth, <laughs> Snake Eyes. Snake, Snake Eyes. Eyes. Every yep. time. Yep. And I'm sure you know this, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably do too, but him being all black was a cost savings. In oh. order to get... In order to get paint apps, <laughs> in order to get paint apps on some of the other figures, they just said he's just we're just going to mold them in black and that's it. An accident became one of the most popular figures in the toy line. Ah, Snake Eyes, so cool, so very cool. Can't go. Wrong. He's a commando. Did I mention that? <laughs> he doesn't speak either. Did I mention that? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't speak. We could go into that as why Scarlet likes him. Maybe I don't know. You know, maybe he doesn't. Oh, you know, I better be careful. Because Keep I don't or delete to, I, as you, as you will, but I, we got into it on Twitter with with people who grew up with a cartoon versus. Uh, the I was just going to mention like, that they were like, "Oh, is that is he is Scarlet with Duke or is Scarlet with Snake?" I'm like, "Scarlet with Snake Eyes." Period. Forever. I am in that camp, and I will not budge from it. I'm like, I'm like, if you you know we know your Joe history and you read the comics, like he the whole reason he's masked and can't speak is because he saved her. My first into the media side of GI Joe was the cartoon. For me, it was for at that time was Duke and Scarlet. But once I got introduced in the comic book and started learning the history and stuff, I'm like, no, no, you're you're yeah. right. Snake <laughs> yeah, Eyes and Scarlet. That's it. There's it's no so other much more meaningful. <laughs> yeah, so much more meaningful when you like when you see the accident, you see what happened to Snake Eyes. Like then you like it just clicks. You're just like, well, of course she loved him. He sacrificed almost everything for her. You know. Next up, oh, I get a good one this time, Ranger. Also known as his code name is Stalker Lonzo R. Wilkinson functions well under high stress situations, intelligent, perceptive, moves like some sort of jungle cat, silent, fast, and strong. His figure is all camouflage. He's got a beret back in the 80s. You weren't cool if you didn't have a beret. You got that <laughs> right. Whether it was camo or raspberry, either one. Exactly, was right? <laughs> I was in Boy Scouts and I had a beret and I was like, this is this is great. <laughs> I've reached the top. I've reached the top. As we were talking about with Scarlet being inclusive, Stalker is an African American. Not only that, but he was when Hawk wasn't around, he was the leader in the comic book. Thanks, straight. And he was, in my opinion, here we go. Maybe we should wait till eighty three to discuss this. But go ahead and hit match game. I, by the way, <laughs> I like Stalker better than any of the other people that were leaders in the comic book. Yes, I like him better than Duke. Same here. He had that senior NCO role from this original lineup. He was Larry clearly loved the guy. He intertwined a stalker, Snake Eyes, and Storm Shadow. You cannot tell any of their stories without including mm -hmm. one of those three. Larry absolutely loved this character and wanted to develop him. He was, he was in the comic book all the way through, even when he didn't have a figure. Yeah, and he went without a second figure for a while too. Like it wasn't even a second one until like eighty nine or something. Eighty nine, like kind of sacrilege. But on the other hand, I'm like, he didn't need a second. Oh, so good. <laughs> and when they made a second figure, they did very good. It was it was top notch. Mm. Yes, uh, definitely a top tier Joe for me. Love some stalker. Yeah, I'll talk about. Him. I'm with you. I thought he was a great, great senior NCO again. Uh, you mentioned it inclusive. It's just a, a lot of diversity in the military. And Larry just gave this guy such personality. He could have been generic. He could have been grunt. He could have been, but he's like, let's give him the camo suit. Let's make the only original line, uh, original set African-American dude. Let's make him second in command. 
let's give him the senior NCO status. Basically, he's the battlefield commander. And when you read how Larry did that up in the comics, oh man! I mean, people to this people to this day talk about is there anything cooler than Stalker with a jetpack on? <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> he didn't come with the jetpack. I know, but he just—I think it was because it first appeared in that comic. I think he wore yep. it in issue one. He did on the attack on the Cobra Island, right? In quotations. Let's talk about Steeler. Steeler is the tank commander. His real name is Ralph W. Pulaski. He's young, reckless, and often clashes with authority, superior officers, which I guess is only Hawk. I don't know. Anyway, it also says he's one tough soldier. And I, at this point, need to stand corrected because he is the other officer. There were two officers because I just realized I'm looking at his file card right now. He's a lieutenant. He is an 01. In July of 2023, I'm just now learning that there was two officers involved in the first line of toys. I had no idea that he was a lieutenant, but here I am. Here I am learning that Steeler uh, was a lieutenant. Now, I'm going to have to trust your military expertise because I don't know the military ranking system very well. Oh, okay. Well, I'm here to tell you. It's a, <laughs> I'm looking at his file card and it says 01, and that means he's a second lieutenant. And I didn't know that. Uh, his figure description, by the way, brace yourself, uh, OD Green. Uh, what sets him apart? You know, really, it's his accessories more than anything. He's got the big, thick, like, tank commander visor. <laughs> I think that's what that is. He's got the... It's basically, if you remember, the virtual boy that Nintendo made. <laughs> He's got one stuck to his face. Really, I've gotten this a lot. The biggest thing about Steeler was he came with the Mobat. We'll talk about that in a second. So, basically, if you trotted out a Steeler figure when you were a kid, you're like, oh, I got Steeler. That pretty much so meant you had the Mobat. Which of its which was the flag of its time? Like if you had the Mobat, you were next level. Yes, motorized. It was the biggest vehicle of the first line of the eighty-two vehicles. Mm-hmm. The last figure on the GI Joe team is the Bazooka Soldier, codenamed Zap. Raphael J. Melendez. Zap is the fun-loving type. He's cool under fire. The stuff he works on could blow up at any time. And his figure was. Can we can we guess, Jared? On a scale of one to OD Green. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's it. He did have again. It's his accessories that are really stand out. Uh, he had the bazooka, which even for the eighties wasn't that a antiquated term for yeah, firearms. Bazooka is, I think, a very World War Two ish term. I mean, it's never really gone away. People yeah. use the term bazooka quite a bit. In fact, isn't there a Joe name? <laughs> there is. We'll get to that. So, yeah, he's the green, the helmet, shoulder-mounted weapon, bazooka. But that's about it. Pretty pretty normal for the 1982 line. And again, um, here we have a Hispanic Joe in the original lineup. Yep. So, yep. so I, I think he – I'm not looking at the picture right now because it's your job. But I think he had the black receding hairline. <laughs> He did. He had the same head mold as the other ones with a black receding hairline. So now we're going to move on to 1982 Cobra figures. And there were three of them. We're going to start with the Cobra Commander, codename, enemy leader. And his file name is classified. Cobra Commander is hatred and evil personified, corrupt, a man without scruples, probably the most dangerous man alive. And his figure, this version, is a blue uniform with a red Cobra symbol on it and he has a silver metal mask with a blue helmet one thing 
and we'll inter- we'll talk about it as we move forward with between the comic book and the cartoon episodes. There were two different Cobra Commander personalities going through the comic books and the cartoons. Larry Hammer wrote, wrote him as a lot more serious, mildly competent. Yeah, mildly competent. That's a good way to put it. And the cartoon, not so much. Uh, he buffoon. <laughs> buffoon. That's a good way to put it. Both beloved and both are Cobra Commander. That's one of the neat things about this brand and toy line is you can have discussions on which one was better. I think I would outright dislike the cartoon version if it wasn't for one thing, and that is the brilliant voice work of Chris Lotta. Like I, they hit a home run with his voice work. Absolutely. It, it's yeah. say it's it makes the buffoonery. I I swear it ratchets the buffoonery from ten to eleven. But that that small jump is like takes him from buffoonery to like entertaining. You're right. It takes that little bit, and I was like, you know what? We don't need to take him serious, and that's the fun of it. So. Yeah, that that voice was perfect. It's so good. Okay, that brings me to we're gonna look at Cobra the Enemy. This is the basic. This is the grunt of <laughs> of the Cobra. Uh, bad guy core here. This is the one that you want to build your figures with. Again, it's just Cobra the enemy. Uh, spoiler alert. And Jim's going to get to this in a minute. There's, there's three Cobras. All right. You had Cobra Commander. You had this Cobra the enemy. And you had one other guy who, uh, you know, I don't want to give too many spoilers. We're going to get there, but he's not that exciting either. But this Cobra the enemy is generic. It says on his file card, Cobra's swear absolute loyalty to their fanatical leader, Cobra Commander, their goal to conquer the world for their own evil purposes. So again, this is meant to be a troop builder. This is not an action. This is not a character with a personality. This is just a troop builder. Uh, It has a cool look though. Uh, They really did a nice job on his design. I'm always amazed at how good the Cobra designs were compared to how kind of generic the Joe ones were. But I get it because especially in these early days, they were trying to keep Joe's similar to what you'd see in the actual military. Uh, Spoiler alert, they're going to get pretty far away from that (laughs) in a few few years, but that's okay. It's all part of the fun. So let's talk about this Cobra, the enemy, your troop builder. Uh, He basically wears a darker blue uniform than Cobra Commanders. I want to say Cobra's Commanders is a little bit brighter than the Cobra, the enemy. He still has the red Cobra emblem on the chest. He's got some black tactical gear, he wears the you know pre-COVID COVID mask on his face in black and um, comes with a rifle. So it's a pretty cool design with the dark blue with the black trim and the red on the chest and the little nose and below mask, which only allows you to see his eyes, which ends up being a, a pretty good design for a troop builder. So uh, I'm not going to hate on it. No, like you said, this was a, a generic troop builder. Now, my question for you, back when you were a kid and collecting, did you even know anything about troop building? Or once you had a figure, that was it. Once I had a figure, that was it. It didn't yeah. occur to me till much later, probably in my 20s, before I saw somebody in those early days of social media, you know, like MySpace or whatever, message board. I think I was on a message board. And a guy posted a picture of like he had collected 200 stormtroopers from Star Wars and like 200 of these covert troopers. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah. Could have been doing that the whole time. But our parents weren't going to give us money to buy the same figure again, Jim. Come on now. No, they weren't. Later on, when they started different versions, that's how they got the parents to, okay, Mm -hmm. it's a different version. Mm -hmm. I'll get you this one. But yeah, as a kid, because of those limited resources, my parents being pretty strict with us on that, it did not cross my mind to even attempt a troop build. I was the same way. Once I had one, that was it. 
I had one Viper. I had one Cobra Trooper. I had one Snow Serpent. That, that was it. You know, and to this day, I don't troop build. Like, I bought some of the big sets from Toys R Us that comes with, like, four. Uh, this would have been, like, in the 2000s. It comes with, like, four Cobra Troopers and maybe, like, two Crimson Guardsmen or whatever. Like, and, and the four are the same. Like, when I opened that up, if they're all the same, I would only keep one. And I'd sell the rest because I'm like, I just need one. I just want the one version. I don't need all of them. Now, one thing they did later on, like within the last 15 years or so, you probably already know this, Jim, but this may be for the listening audience. I thought this was clever. They started doing Cobra Troopers. They all look the same with, you can only see their eyes in the top half of their face, but they started doing different skin tones. There was like an African-American one. There was one that looked, you know, more Hispanic, you know, like, and I was like, that's a brilliant way to get me to keep buying your damn figure. And they... At some point, I don't know well, I think it was early 2010s, they released uh, female Cobra Troopers as well. Oh, you know what? I don't think I have any of those. That's cool. Yep. Next and last Cobra figure was a Cobra officer. His file name, well, they were unknown because there was, again, this is somewhat of a troop builder. Cobra officers are dedicated to destroying G.I. Joe and the American way of life. Beware, they are extremely dangerous enemies. Their figure was... Same color as the Cobra Trooper. It was a darker blue. They had a silver uh, Cobra symbol on the front. The black strapping and the black harnesses. That's how you could tell them apart. Now, other than that, they were pretty much the same figure. The thing I always thought was interesting, just as a military guy, is the Cobra officer, the one you just described. I think he came with an AK-47. And the Cobra Trooper, I feel like he came with like a Dragonoff sniper rifle, or or I may be wrong about that, but something similar. Yes, they there is some debate in the community; those two should have been switched. Oh, okay. So this, I'm not breaking no, any new ground. No, but- no, this is it is it is a debate or a conversation amongst fans that yes, the officer should have had the sniper rifle, and the trooper should have had the more common yeah. AK-47. Yep. Yeah, in my head, canon, that's how it was until just now when we were talking, looking at him close yeah. again. I was like, huh, AK-47 is a lot more common. I would have suspected that would go with the trooper. So, All right, now that we've gone over all the figures, the Joes, and the Cobras, it is time to choose our personal top three Joe or Cobra figures from this year. I'm going to let you go first, Jared. I just realized how difficult this is because I was walking in all confident with, like, Stalker, Snake Eyes and Scarlet. Bam, I'm done. But then I'm like, man, that Cobra Commander was dope. <laughs> so, uh, uh, let's, I, you know what? I'm just going to stick with my original instinct. Uh, I'm going to definitely say uh, Snake Eyes, Stalker, and Scarlet. Those are going to be my top three. Uh, those are my most sought after. I mean, even as a kid in 82, I fully recognize how cool Snake Eyes was before it was explained to me how cool it was in the comics and somewhat in the cartoons. So, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with Stalker, Snake Eyes, Scarlet. And like you said, you know, those, especially Stalker and Snake Eyes, go super well together because of the Vietnam connection, which connects them to Tommy, aka Storm Shadow, which also connects them to Hawk. Hawk is always in that little mix as well. And yeah, I just. Was- have- I've always loved that. I've always loved, like, if you read the comics, it really feels like Hawk, Stalker, and Snake Eyes were your first three Joes. And they did their recruiting from there. That's really what it feels like. And that may be canon as well. Just It's also hard for me to leave Hawk out. The short answer is Stalker, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, with honorable mentions to Hawk and Cobra Commander. I thought I was working with Pat for a little bit there. Throwing <laughs> <extra stuff> in. <laughs> Pat points. We call him Pat points. 
Oh, I agree. We are going to match on two of these for my pick, Stalker, Snake Eyes, and I'm going to go with the Cobra Officer. I really oh, like that bold. look. With I know. I like the look with the, the dark blue, the silver. Mm-hmm. Um, those are my top three. I like it. So, Jared, did you have any other, other strong impressions of these figures back in 1982 or even now? Well, of course, the original Joes are legendary. At this point, even the forgotten ones like Grunt and Flash and Zap and all, the, all those guys. But one impression, and this is kind of a weirdly specific thing, though. One impression that will always stay with me is I just thought it was super cool that Cobra Commander's pistol could be attached to his back. Like none of the other figures had attachable, like they could hold it or you could put a satchel charge, you know, like Snake Eyes around his neck or whatever. But to have it like something you can affix to it, like I just thought that was neat. And there'll be a few other characters along the way that sort of have those affix things. And I always find that to be special for some weird. Yeah, I always like the figures that can hold all of their accessories at one. You know, not, there's not, not a lot. Of loose. <laughs> there's and no, there isn't a lot. But yeah, that is pretty neat. Now we're going to transition into the next segment that we're calling the motor pool. And what is an army without their means of deployment? G.I. Joe and Cobra had some of the best vehicles and playsets of any toy line. Though this year, the Joes had a few more than Cobra, a 7 to 1 ratio, and the Cobra playset was a Sears exclusive, so even more difficult to find for the common collector. This first year had more real-world styling than any other year and still had that five-minute-in-the-future feel. So let's go discuss each of the Joe vehicles and playsets for 1982. Jared, I'm going to let you go first this time. All right. We are going to talk about the flak. I'm going to give you some flak on this one, my friend. The flak stands for field light attack cannon. And it's pretty much an in-place cannon that you can sit a Joe in. And the original box art, it had rock and roll shooting the thing. Although G.I. Joe figure sold separately. Uh, it also says with cannon, you can elevate and swivel. So it went up and down and swiveled around. It was a pretty cool little uh, playset. Nothing much to it. Fairly stationary. Just a really big gun that you can put your Joe in. The second one we're going to discuss is the HAL, the Heavy Artillery Laser. This was a trailer-mounted laser. It was included with Grand Slam, one with the uh, red red pads. And I personally am a sucker for trailers in this toy line. I don't know what it is, but if it was a trailer, I had to have it. <laughs> This is um, cool because like you could hook it up. Like I think it actually hooked up to like the vamp. You can drag it around. Yep. I think that was neat. there was later on. They they offered them together, oh. by, packaged together. But this the laser swiveled on the trailer, green like most of the other vehicles in the toy line. That is going to bring us to the jump jet pack. Uh, jump stood for jet mobile propulsion unit, which is Jimpu. That's not fun to say, but Jump is. Originally, it did not come with a figure, although Flash is heavily featured on the box art. But in the next year, they would release it with a figure, but instead it's going to have Silver Pad's Grand Slam come with it. But I'm certain we'll get to that at some point. Uh, This version, the 1982 version, comes with nobody. And really, it's just a small launching pad and a big backpack jetpack that you can use for your Joes. And it's just kind of fascinating that really uses flash iconography here then it will actually come with grand slam but again 
Anybody who loves G.I. Joe is going to put that backpack on Stalker and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, Stalker definitely, when you think of the jump jetpack, definitely Stalker. Not only in the comic book, but the cartoon as well from the first miniseries when they infiltrate that base. Next up is the Mobile Missile System, or MMS. This trailer, again, was packaged with Hawk. It had three missiles mounted to a swivel base. It was green, and it had actual struts or supports that would flip down so that the so it would be stable the wheels would be off the ground so you could simulate it launching i was a sucker for the trailers yeah you can't go wrong with that it's pretty cool i'm gonna roll us right into the mobat the original big baller gi joe toy if you were the big baller you had the mobat which stands for motorized battle tank it comes with steeler and the mobat is you know it's it's not just a tank it's is motorized. The the toy itself is motorized, so it moves like a tank, and you can put it in forward, reverse, left turn, right turn. It's all kind of controlled by the turret, which is quite cool. What I really like about the packaging is there's a small insert picture of the tank, like actually climbing up some books, like as you know, you're playing with it, you stack up some books. And I never realized that that was on the packaging, and this is another thing I've learned today. But like, I think all of us. Without having to know that insert was there, drove this tank over some books in our room. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this thing was cool. It very much worked like a tank. It required two D-cell batteries, and man, that sucker was cool. You were definitely high-end if you had the Mobat. Next up is the Ram motorcycle, which is Rapid Fire Motorcycle. I'm not sure where the A is in that, but it's the Ram. Now, this motorcycle had showed Breaker riding it and had a side-mounted Vulcan 20-millimeter Gatling gun. This vehicle was used quite a bit in the cartoon. I know we talked about earlier how Jared thought it was a rock and roll that always was on the box art. And mm-hmm. this was one of those inexpensive toys that a lot of people had. This style of motorcycle was big back in the 80s. And Jared, I don't know if you remember or not, but you remember that TV show Street Hawk? Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Street uh, Hawk, Definitely. This motorcycle reminds me of the Street Hawk motorcycle. And I think this show was later on. I was looking at it going, yeah, I can see that. It's got 80s written all over it. It really does. It has shades of Street Hawk. It has like shades of almost Mad Max with a ludicrous weapon on top of a vehicle. It has shades of um, Mega Force. It's all in there. All right. I will bring us to the end of the vehicles. Well, of the Joe vehicles. Then we'll get to the Cobra vehicles which there were none. (laughs) We'll just do this G.I. Joe vamp. That's right. This was probably the most commonly bought toy because you could drive it around and it came with clutch. And uh, vamp stood for multi-purpose attack vehicle, which is impav. But, you know, do what you want. Do what you want with the letters. I don't care. It had a twin 50 caliber machine gun attached to the back. It was a two-seater Jeep. It had like this little mini gun on the hood which was kind of neat that nobody ever really played with because you had the two big guns. And one of my favorite things was the two removable gas cans. I mean, probably everybody lost their two removable gas cans, but I just thought that tiny little detail just kind of added a little air of authenticity because it kind of reminded you you needed to get gas in your gas cans and keep your vamp going and all that. And as we previously mentioned, it did have that tow hook that it was very much designed to drag the howl around with. And that's just good toy marketing. And you can say, hey, 
you know, get this so you can hook it to that. This this little green Jeep, which would get reused and reused, it would get a Vamp Mark II. There'll eventually be Cobra versions of the Vamp. It's just a great, simple mold that's a lot of fun to play with. Probably one of the most reused molds in the whole line. I was just thinking, like, <laughs> I know there was a Cobra version with those, like, black and red. I know there's a Vamp Mark II, which is more like desert brown and, like... Yep. And they had the Tiger Force one. Force, why probably a Python Patrol one. If I, there may or may not be a Python Patrol, yeah. I don't know, but there, there should be. And now the Cobra playset, yes, singular playset. The only item that was offered for 1982 for Cobra was the Cobra Missile Command Headquarters, and it was a Sears exclusive that was essentially a cardboard diorama set. What would looks like a underground Cobra base that. They launch it from. It did come with a Cobra Commander figure, Cobra Officer, and a Cobra Trooper. All three of them. There are not very many that have survived because it was. It, you look at it; it is a cardboard cutout. I didn't even know this existed until I started recollecting again in the early 2010s. I didn't go to Sears. Close to Sears was 20 miles away, so I didn't know. I'm like you, man. I found out about this thing just a couple of years ago when I was on Aaron Moss's Real American Headcast. And we were talking about the toys. And I was like, what in the world <laughs> is this? It really puts me in mind of, and you might know the history a little better than me, Jim. I feel like all these toys that we just talked about came out. And people were like, these are great. And then I think they just kind of dawned on them. We have no vehicles or anything for the bad guys. And this was like a last minute edition. Like, let's just make a diorama. We'll make it available just through Sears, like just so they could have something for the Cobras. Now, I may be wrong about that. They might have been offered from the get-go, but it just doesn't feel like it was. I'm going to go one step farther. I don't remember who was sitting in the meeting with Hasbro. It may have been Larry Hama. Hasbro had no bad guys for G.I. Joe to fight in the original 1982 toy line. Oh, that's He literally asked, he asked, who are they going to fight? So all three of these figures are just they had to put them together real quick that's why cobra commander isn't even offered the only time he's offered in 82 i believe is in this command center he's i think not you're absolutely right or a mail away yeah 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 I, I i i think you're right i remember hearing that story now it might have been on toys that made us on netflix and yep. they were like oh so was- <laughs> we we need someone for these guys to fight and, and for last minute designs cobra cobra trooper and cobra officer are very solid this cardboardy thing though is wonky i mean i still want one but it's wonky. They did a, I think it was a San Diego Comic-Con a few years ago. They did a repop of this playset. Now that we've got that covered, very similar to the figures. Jared, what are your top three vehicles and which one left you with the strongest impression? All right. Uh, I would say my top three vehicles would be the Mobat, the Ram, and the Vamp. And I actually kind of did that backwards order. If I was ranking them, I'd say my favorite is probably the Vamp and then the Ram and then the Mobat. Those would be my top three. And the one that left me with the strongest impression, it's got to be the Vamp. And that's just because, I mean, that's the one that Jason and I had. We also had the Ram, which I really like, but the Vamp was sort of the biggest one that we had. Uh, you know, the, definitely, I, I didn't own a Mobat, but I remember having a friend that did and just thinking it was the coolest thing when I played with it. And then the others, like Flack Howl, Jump, MMS, I, I don't very rarely, I don't have any strong memories of, of anybody really having them. I'm sure like once in a while somebody had something, but really the most mileage, no pun intended, has got to be the vamp. What about you, bud? 
Well, again, two out of three. My, and I'm not going to rank them. I'm not going to sit there and go one, two, three, because that would be very difficult. I know what number one would be. Mine would be the Ram, the Hal, and the Vamp. Vamp would be number one. I'm a, a Jeep guy, so I like that style. And that was the closest thing you got to a Jeep in this toy line. And with the Hal, again, I've mentioned I like those trailers. That's my favorite one. And then who didn't like a motorcycle that had a Gatling gun on the side? Right. Come on now. That Your number one, it sounded like it was the Ram. Is that correct? Like that's the one that left the biggest impression on you or you got a different answer for biggest impression? The biggest impression, it's my number one, the Vamp. Oh, okay. That's the, the four-wheel drive vehicle. The one that really, for my what I liked as a kid, that's that Vamp was the, the one. They kind of melded answers together. So, All right, now we're going to move on to military surplus where it is a peripheral discussion of items that have to do with G.I. Joe. It's under attack! It's under attack! The G.I. Joe headquarters is under attack! And today, we're going to discuss card and box art of G.I. Joe. We've discussed the figures, vehicles, and playsets of 82, but we wouldn't be doing the line justice if we don't talk about the package art. I know that I may be a little biased, but I would have no trouble putting the package art for the entire run of the 82 to 94 toy line as the best of any toy line of the 80s. Jared, is this too bold of a statement, or am I looking at this package art with rose-colored nostalgia glasses? It's hard to say, because I also have a prescription for rose-colored nostalgia glasses. But honestly, as I look back in time, when it comes to packaging, G.I. Joe is king. It's just king. It's incredible. It's so incredible that Within the last year or two years, there was this company, and I can't remember what their name is, which is probably the best, because <laughs> they made these G.I. Joe Lego sets. They're not Legos. They're building blocks. I can't remember what company made them. And we try to stay positive on this network, but they are, let's just say, subpar. Here's what they did have going for them. A, they were very affordable. I was finding the large-scale sets in like my Burks outlet stores and my TJ Maxx's for like $10, no more than 12 bucks for the big ones. The medium sized ones were like eight and the small ones were like five. They're very affordable and they use the original box arts and they are just gorgeous. They are worth the price of these less than stellar (laughs) belly block sets for the box art alone. I have them all on display in my office at the front of the house. I opened one up. It was like the Sky Striker and the Night Raven, and I built one, and it was just a frustrating and annoying build. Uh, before I run the company down too much, the one thing they did right was use that original box art, and I ended up buying them all just because I wanted to display them. They're just so displayable. So, yeah, I, I, I can't give them kudos for how good their, their set builds are, but I can for them leaning heavily into that nostalgic box art that is just so cool. So circling back to your original statement. Now, man, I am in agreement with you. This, to me, is the best box art in the history of toys, period. I'm glad it's not just me that thinks that. <laughs> as far as that construction set, that was forever clever. Well, they were clever that enough to use good name. box art. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and my wife got me a couple of those sets for Christmas because she saw the box art. And she goes, oh, Jim's going to like these. I have every one. I have every one of them. <laughs> You got more than I did because I couldn't find them in stores. They, Even at the discount stores, I couldn't find them. Another question before we dive into discussing the package art. What are some of your favorite or most memorable figure or vehicle art? Now, this is from the 82 to 94. 
So I'm going to let you kind of ramble and Ooh. run all, run with it because there's <laughs> no way I tried right and cutting it down to five. And, then, and there was, it was so difficult to do that. You know, pull a pat. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll keep it kind of brief. Actually, the ones that just strongly pop into mind. And I mean, real strong or else we will be here all day. Some of my favorite box art is got to be Sky Striker, Dragonfly. You can see I have an air base bias already. Night Raven. <laughs> those those immediately came to mind. You know what else looked super cool that only the cool kids had? So probably only you have one or six of these was the Space Shuttle. That was like a late 80s thing. That one was really cool. The G.I. Joe Space Shuttle. What was it called? The Valiant? Might have made that up. Defiant. Defiant. I did make it up. I was close, though. Of course, the flag. Here's the thing, man. I just rattled off some names, and I can't think of a G.I. Joe vehicle or or figure, for that matter, that had bad box art. Like, everything looked exciting, and I think everything to do with three elements. Element one, just good art, just really good representation, very action-y poses, very energetic art. That's the big thing. Number two, the consistency of an awesome background. They always had the explosion background. Even though it, it would change over time, it would go from more of an analog to a digital explosion. I remember that coming later. It always had the same theme. And number three, the logo. It's such a strong logo with its star and its red, white, and blue, and its G.I. Joe. It's it's a primo logo. It is an absolute lesson in perfect simplicity. And even though the logo would slightly tweak and maybe get like a 3D effect or whatever as the years go on, it's still super simple, super recognizable. So you take logo, you take background, and you keep those consistent, and you keep high-energy art for no matter whether it's a vehicle or a figure. Everything had an, a consistency, and that consistency was adventure. They're selling you patriotic American adventure. Sold. Sold. Yeah, you go down the toy aisle in the 80s and early 90s, and you could stare and look at those that box art and just be amazed. Like you said, it's, it's worth framing and having on your wall. It's that good. Absolutely. To discuss the box art, 3D Joe's has put together a omnibus 82 to 94. All the box art, all the peripheral stuff, all the characters, all that stuff in one book. And it is going to be. It's 700, it's over 700 pages. Anybody out there has not heard of it, go to the website and see if they're still available or not. If you don't, you're going to miss out. It's a really good representation of the box art, everything that the brand brought to the table. That is, that is fantastic. I definitely need to look into that. And I gave you a super long-winded Pat style answer to your questions, promise. But, you know, Jim, I think at the end of the day, and I want to throw this question to you as well. You could have like the original painting of just one, like you get the original painting of just one to frame and hang on your wall. To me, it is a tough choice between the Sky Striker and the Dragonfly, but I would take the Dragonfly because it is very heavily modeled after the AH-1 Cobra, and that's what my father flew. That's what I would take. What would you take? I would probably, and this is one of my top favorites, is the Tactical Battle Platform. It was sweet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 1985 and 86 is the sweet spot for my collecting. I got that for Christmas and that thing saw some play and some use. That would be the art that I would want. 
Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. That thing was cool. You and I got that probably for the same Christmas. I remember early on when you and I were recording something else, probably one of our other Joe programs, I was like, hey, did you know you could fit an armadillo into the little nook of the bat platform? And you literally moved your head like eight inches to the right. And there was one sitting in that exact spot right behind you. There it is. (laughs) There it is again. I'm like, I'm not telling Jim nothing. He doesn't already know. No. I'm going to talk a little bit about my favorites, and I might pull a little bit of a path. But again, the tactical battle platform, the mobile command center, it had all the figures from 87 on it, I think. The Night Raven, I don't remember if you said that or not. I did um, mention the Night Raven. <laughs> okay. It's a pretty, that's a pretty vehicle. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, as far as figure goes, Lieutenant Falcon, his very dynamic pose, and, and Fast Draw. Oh my what? god! I was just thinking faster. I'm not even kidding. I was like, he has a great, he has a great figure. Pay like that. That art is fantastic. It is. Now you look figure art versus the figure. That art sold you. And I got one more. The 1988 accessory pack, number six. It was a Cobra battle pack. The box art is that one with all of the 88 figures kind of climbing down a mountain. That art was on some other packaging and as well. I didn't care what was in the pack. I was buying that. Well, yeah, right now for maybe the first time. And it is incredible, man. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Got anything else to add before we move on? I'm glad you brought that figure pack. Cause I don't think I've ever seen one and I'm looking at it online now and it's super cool. It's got road pig front and center and yeah. a bunch of bad guys. I can't name right now. And like a vulture swooping down. Vulture, <laughs> it's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So a little bit, some details and some little bit of history of the box art. Hector Garrido, Doug Hart, Bob, and I'm going to butcher this name, Lavoie, are three names that are often brought up when discussing box art for G.I. Joe. I'm sure there are others that should get credit, but I want to mostly focus on Hector Garrido. He possibly created around 50% of all box art from 82 to 94. He set the tone and the style for the box art that others would try to emulate. But this style created a cohesive, almost universe the box art sparked my imagination and affected my play patterns. There are some figures and vehicles that will forever be intertwined together, like Breaker and the Ram, the Devilfish with Beachhead and Wetsuit. Did the box art, or the better question, how would the box art affect you and your Joe collecting? That's a great question because I never really thought about it until now. You provided an excellent example. You provided two excellent examples because I already admitted that I didn't associate Breaker with the Ram. When it came out in that classified, and I was like, what? Why is it not rock and roll? And again, it was our friend Gary V who pointed out to me, it's because, you know, you had the comic and the Viewmaster of Hot Potato. So that's why you do that. And I, that's, that's great that, that that's how it explains it. Uh, but your other example is, is fantastic, too, because, yes, I associate the Devilfish with Beachhead and Wetsuit. And I think it comes from a cover of a G.I. Joe comic. I want to say somewhere in the 40s, 40-something um, but see, that's not exactly box art. Maybe that it was also on the box art. I don't know. What I'm learning from our discussion here is I was mostly influenced by the comic. Like how I played was from the comic. I feel like I was that kid that got it and didn't appreciate the box art at the time. I appreciate it, as you can tell, when I was an adult. But as a kid, I think it was like, get in there, open it up, get get it built, get the stickers on it, let's play. And I didn't soak in the box art like I probably should have. So what I'm really learning about myself here is the vast majority of my influence on play is from the comic book. There's definitely some beautiful box art out there, and I'm sure there was some sort of subliminal 
influence there, but all the influence that I'm feeling is from the comics more so than the box art. It sounds like you paid a lot more attention to that. So I'm interested to see how it affected your play patterns. It definitely did. I guess you might call it a little bit of OCD. If I got a vehicle and it didn't come with a figure, but it had a certain figure on the box, I had to get it. That was the one. Uh, probably probably similar for me as well. Through the whole line, that was Joe and Cobra vehicles and figures. That was that was a common theme because you know they were they were trying to sell both the vehicles and the figures. That cross sell is what they were really going for. They definitely did an outstanding job of that by including you know other Joes in that box art because it did make you feel like those Joes were attached to that vehicle. The more, yeah, I, you know, I've never really thought about it through that marketing angle, but that's clearly what they were doing in hindsight. And I'm not even mad about it. It's like, it's clever and it gives more life to the vehicle that you see on the, in the painting. So it makes total sense. Now we're going to start discussing the package of the figures and what details were on the package. So you had a picture of the character, the code name and specialty, the explosive background. And Jared had mentioned it earlier, over time, that background change. It would go to a more laser or digital look. And also, later on in the years, the colors of the background would change. The Cobra, I believe, was red and the Joe was blue. But this is news to me, actually, that Cobra and Joe with the different color themes. Now, probably something that's subtly registered to me as a collecting kid, but not in the forefront of my mind. I Again, we're learning stuff on the podcast. And for me, I didn't consciously realize there was a different color scheme for each one. That's just kind of neat. Anything else on the front of the package that grabs your attention, Jared? Yeah, more like a question for you, because you're, you're the smartest guy I know on this stuff. I, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I've got passion. <laughs> I, some of these I'm fairly confident in. Like if there was a Night Force one or a Python Patrol, like it would be stamped on the front of the package. Night Force, Python Patrol. I feel like, you got to tell me if I'm making this up in my head, if this is like a Mandela effect thing or not. I feel like maybe some Dreadnoughts figures had a Dreadnoughts stamp on it. Any, I may be wrong, but I feel like if it was some sort of in its own special universe, it had a little stamp on it. I might be conflating this with some He-Man packaging because He-Man would like stamp it if it was part of the Horde or whatnot. Uh, so I might be mixing memories. I, I feel strongly that like Python Patrol and Night Force had stamps on a Tiger Force and all that, but... Uh, did the Dreadnoughts get a special stamp or like Slaughter's Marauders or they weren't? Am I crazy? Do they have stamps? Maybe, maybe not. I'm looking at the 1985 Dreadnoughts. All they had was Dreadnoughts, the enemy on it. Are you talking about that or like later on? And I believe in Devil's Due, that time frame when they started to create a Dreadnoughts logo. Low, yeah, I think I am conflating the logo okay. with the fact that it's just printed on there that it said Dreadnoughts, the enemy. I think I am mixing those two things in yeah. my Yeah, I could kind of see that logo in my head of a, it's almost like a Zartan skull or something yeah. in that vein. And I'm glad we cleared that up because, you know, the more we can organize my brain, the better. So we've been only talking about the front of the package, but the back of the packages were just as important to all the things we've been talking about. Jared, what are some things you remember about the back of the packaging? When I think of the back of the packaging, a couple of things come to mind. The first thing is like, that's where you would get sort of the photorealistic picture of what you're getting. 
inside. Normally, that's what you would get back there. Of course, flag points come to mind. There's always a, a flag point value that you could clip and save. Uh, of course, file cards were back there. Other than that, that's that's what springs to mind for vehicles is the photorealistic picture, the file card of the driver who came with it, and the flag point. If we're talking about figures, it gets more exciting because the back of your figure usually had those small pictures of all the other figures that were out there. They kind of acted like their own little checklist, you know. You and and it was always cool. Like it was cool even just to get a new figure that had more new characters on it. Cause as the figures would come out, sometimes they would add more and just to be like, Oh my God, there's look at these four new guys or eight new guys or whatever that weren't on the last package I bought. Like it constantly created a sense of excitement. So once again, hats off to Hasbro's marketing department from the beautiful art to the consistency, to the cross promotion of, of putting characters on with the vehicles to that constantly evolving checklist on the back of the figures. It's brilliant marketing. Yeah. I contribute the back of the figures to my collecting habit and have to have it all. Because as you said, you look at the back of that pack and see all those figures and you want to get them all. You want to see what's there. Which one do I pick? Am I missing one? Like you said, they get a new lot of figures in at the store. You look at the back of that. Okay. That one's cool. Is he hanging? Can I get him? And if you didn't, you went down to your second favorite and you got him. As we discussed a little bit ago, with as we read through all the figures and the file cards, you got to know those figures through the file card and it built that world that you could just immerse yourself in and how were they related. And we haven't mentioned the flag points and what those did. Those were for, you could use those for mail-ins or mail-away for figures. A Cobra Commander, Duke, Major Blood were some of the first ones. They would use them for vehicles later. Some things you couldn't only get through the mailaways. Yeah, I definitely remember using mine to get Hooded Cobra Commander. Was it called the Manta? That's the basically the, the wind surfboard. Yep. And I definitely remember using, I think we used some to join the G.I. Joe Collectors Club. And I definitely used some to get the uh, the Wolverine. I think the Wolverine was available in mail-away form. And I think I got it that way. I personally didn't do any mail-aways. don't know why. I, I always wanted to, and I just never, just never did. And again, as with the box art, the overall packaging art, the back of these figures and the front of these figures and the vehicles is just Hasbro. I think it was the perfect storm. And they just put it all together, and it just kept on going. Captures your imagination and never let go. Jared, any closing thoughts on anything that we've discussed today? Oh, man, we've covered a lot. This is the kickoff to one of the greatest toy lines in history. We both agree, probably best box art ever. That is saying something. If you think back on the box art for Star Wars or, you know, Mask or Masters of the Universe or Transformers. Tra- Man, Hasbro knew how to make some box art because that Transformers box art was legit as well. Like they, I would say, GI Joe Transformers are just the top of the crop, and and that is really just saying something. And, and I slightly prefer GI Joe, but you know, I'm a military guy, came from a military family, and and my closing thought is gonna is gonna be this. It's gonna be a little bit uh, deep, and I've mentioned this on a couple other podcasts, but I think. I think here's a good place to talk about it because this is 82. This is kicking off the GI Joe line. And like you said, a perfect storm of great packaging, great art, 
the the 80s is becoming a very militaristic and patriotic time. If you look at the movies, you get a lot of military music. You got Commando, you got Rambo. Yep. Uh, these are all things happening in the 80s. And then you, you're getting this sense of patriotism. It's it's the Reagan years. You know, we don't do politics on the show, but you know what I mean by that. It's like a very patriotic time. It was a, you, you can watch any, watch any WrestleMania from the 80s and you'll understand what I mean. It's just, it's just uh, there's, there's flags everywhere. And the thing I've mentioned on other shows, and I think G.I. Joe is amazing for this. I think G.I. Joe, this is going to sound silly when I say it, but if you think about it, I think you'll see it too. I think G.I. Joe did more to heal the post-Vietnam wounds of this country than almost anything else. It made the military cool. It made patriotism cool. It made soldiers feel good again. Even It's silly because it's G- I get it. It's G.I. Joe, but I, I firmly believe that it, it healed more post-Vietnam wounds than anything else. It's blind luck. It's, it's timing. It's, it's a silly toy line. But in the end, I think it just ended up lightning in a bottle, something so much bigger. And it all started right here with these pieces of plastic in 1982. I agree. With Larry Hama taking the helm of the comic book, his hand he had in the file cards of the figures and how he created mm-hmm. their personas. Mm-hmm. He was a Vietnam veteran. Yes. Um, he knew what it felt like. And he was able to put that positive spin on the entire toy line with every little thing that he did. Oh, and, 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 I, I, and I'm, I have to interrupt you and I'm sorry, but you just made an awesome point. Again, perfect storm, the perfect writer, someone with just enough realism with a history with the military and who knows how soldiers act. Look at any other toy line that got a comic book to try to pump it. None of them, none of them lasted like this one did. And that's because of Larry's authenticity. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I had to put a bold underline under that. That that part of the lightning in the bottle is so important that, that they got the right guy. The closest comic book that had any length of run that G.I. Joe had was Transformers. And it only had 80 issues. Yeah. So, and it started after and ended before the G.I. Joe comic run. And and it's a good so, run. And we're definitely not poo-pooing Transformers on this. Uh, at least I'm not. <laughs> it's a solid run of comics. And it is a great run of toys. I think the real difference is what's, you know, what's the cultural significance? Like I said, I think G.I. Joe had this weird wound healing from Vietnam. And if anything... You know, Transformers is still very cool, but I don't know it had that big of a cultural significance, except for I might give it some credit for helping heal some actually longer wounds, some post-World War II uh, sentiment towards Japan. I feel like, um, you know, Japanese culture became, it, it started to become very cool to get into Japanese culture. And I think Transformers had a lot to do with that. Yeah, definitely. There was not only Transformers, there was a couple other toy lines that came from Japan around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Voltron. Yeah. Voltron, uh, GoBots, I yep. think, originated yep. over there. But, like, yep. let's be honest, Transformers was the king of the heap. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to belittle anything Transformers yep. did, but yeah, I, just just an amazing time. But, like I say, there's just no competition when it comes yep. to toy property comics. I mean, I love I love them. I love Kristar and I love Sectars. If you remember that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I love uh, Centurions. I love Brave Star, but none of them. None of them had the legs uh, of G.I. Joe. And the only thing that makes me a little bit sad 
is looking at it through a modern lens, Jim. Let's be honest. When new Joe toys hit the shelves at Walmart and Toys R Us, it is guys our age buying them. Uh, yes. And, yes. and I, on one hand, it's awesome that they're still there. On the other hand, it, the one failing of G.I. Joe is it didn't quite have the legs or the hook or the, or the ability to, to mold itself as time moved on, like, say, Scooby-Doo, who has never been out of the public eye since 1969, or Ninja Turtles, who have never been out of the public eye since 1987, 88, when they hit big. That is the one thing that makes me sad about Joe is it's still going, but it's all, you know, it's HasLab. It's guys like me and you putting $300 down to get a classified Dragonfly helicopter. I know that's weirdly specific, but uh, <laughs> I well, did that. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did not. I don't have that kind of space, and I'm not as fancy as you. Well, again... The only reason I did it is I never had a dragonfly as a kid. And that was the vehicle my dad flew. And it's hurt my heart since I was a kid that I never owned one. And I was like, given the opportunity. And I was like, I am buying this opportunity. I agree. (laughs) But yeah, that's my only sadness about Joe is it needs a new audience. And uh, I don't want to do like, well, this has come out later. Spoiler alert. Anybody who's planning on going to the movies anytime soon for Transformers. Um, there, there might be a second hope for GI Joe, and and I really do because I, I bought GI Joe toys for like my friends uh, who had kids, and I bought them a couple of figures just to try to infect them with GI Joe, and it just never really takes. It never really. It's very much something of our age, Jim, and and we need we need the youth to find it again. As you mentioned earlier in this, I do sell at toy shows, and ninety percent of the people that buy are people our age. Now there are every now and then I witnessed one today at a, at a show. There was a probably 11 or 12 year old boy that bought some GI Joe stuff from one of my nice. buddies. Nice. Um, and I've had people, you know, kids come up and buy stuff from me. And I'm like, I gave them a little more discount than I normally would. If they're interested, I want to keep that going. Nurture that. Yeah, we, we had a pretty deep discussion about it once, me and Ryan Daly. We we had a talk about is, you know, the deep, deep discussion is, you know, is G.I. Joe still viable because it is so militaristic? And it's like we've kind of moved to an age now where, you know, I'm not saying we're not in an age where it's anti-military, but it's just like it, it's it's fairly violent. You see what I'm saying? And it's that's not super marketable. And it, I mean, G.I. Joe doesn't have to be violent. Look at the cartoon from the 80s and all that. But. Yeah, we're in a weird spot of like militaristic patriotism is not what it was in the eighties. <laughs> so no, and as a kid that didn't have that military background like you did, I still felt that military how it grew through the eighties into the nineties mm-hmm. with with Desert Storm and mm-hmm. peaked. You know, unfortunately, nine eleven. So I, I definitely reflect your sentiments and your thoughts. Yeah, that was definitely a time where we're coming out of the Vietnam War. It needed a positive light on the military. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Thank you for joining Jared and myself for this episode of G.I. Joe Outpost. Jared, where can they find you at these days? I'm currently at the Outpost, which is hard to find. But if you want to well, find me on... <laughs> Find me on social medias, perhaps. I'm at Yard Sale Artist. That is Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. 
You can check out my artwares, which does include several G.I. Joe art pieces at www.theyardsaleartist.com. What about you, Jim? I am on Facebook as simply Jim Meal, J-I-M-M-I-E-L. And I'm just starting to dabble in Twitter at Jim the Joe Junkie. If you contact me on Twitter, be patient and I'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. And I want to thank everyone at the Longbox Crusade Network for adding G.I. Joe Outpost to their extensive line of shows. Take a listen to all the other shows that are on the Longbox Crusade on any podcatcher. And if you like what you hear, go to Patreon and become a Crusader Club member where you get all the access. We will see you next time where we will be discussing the G.I. Joe comic book, the first six issues of the G.I. Joe Real American Hero comic from 1982. Dismissed. The music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at Joseflin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. You will not regret it. <laughs>